let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for a new day, for a new season, for your people, Lord, as we have gathered together to worship you. And God, as we have sang about uh, this morning, the miracles that you do in this world and in our lives, help us, God, to never grow dull or weary or complacent uh, to the activity of your Holy Spirit. Help us, God, to just not take the, the miraculous and make it mundane or ordinary and just take it for granted, but to truly see with the eyes of the eyewitnesses of the first century and so, God, as we open your word this morning, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I don't know where you are going to watch the Super Bowl this evening. I don't know uh, how big the TV is going to be, or maybe you're going to watch it on one of these giant projection screens or something like that. I don't know if you're going to have a guacamole or, you know, what kind of food you're going to eat. And, you know, it's kind of that great American get together and watch the Super Bowl. But the interesting thing about the Super Bowl this year is uh, that uh, even though uh, Tom Brady is not going to be playing in the Super Bowl this year, people are going to just be talking about the New England Patriots, right? And can't we just be glad that the New England Patriots are not playing in a Super Bowl this year? Yeah, I mean, you can even clap for that. Go ahead and cheer for that. For the, yeah! But the problem is we're still going to be talking about the New England Patriots and Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, right? Because they, they're just, they've been this dynasty. They've been this football club that just almost seems to defy uh, human capabilities. And we've seen the Patriots play time after time. And, and, and you look at the scoreboard and you think to yourself, there's no way. There is no way the Patriots can come back, right? But somehow, somehow, Tom Brady and the New England Patriots, they come back, they win, and then we're all surprised. But lately, over the past few years, you listen to the sportscasters, and they're like, oh, look at the hole the Patriots have dug themselves into. And the other guy will say something like, yeah, but Tom Brady's on the field. They're not out of it yet. Nobody says that about any other football team but the Patriots, right? It's almost as if Tom Brady can walk walk on water, right? But this year, Tom Brady is now walking on water, right? Yeah! It just proves that he is not superhuman, an extraordinary athlete for sure. Who's ever walked on water? And isn't it interesting that we talk about and use this phrase, walking on water, in our vernacular language. We talk about how someone can walk on water as if everybody just understands what this means. It means, of course, that they're doing something supernatural. They're doing something beyond human. And even people who don't go to church, people who have never read the Bible, understand this phrase about someone who walks on water. That's how common this idea of walking on water has become. And so this morning, as we relook at this story, this miracle, I want to invite us to not have that kind of that complacency of, oh, so-and-so walks on water as if it's like Tom Brady or something, right? He's just really good at what he does. Because when John, the Apostle John, came to tell the story 
about the miracles of Jesus. He said it's so, something so much bigger than just walking on water. And if you've been with us over the past few weeks, you know that we're in this sermon series called Seeing is Believing. Seeing is Believing. And the idea behind this sermon series is that even though you and I have never seen Jesus eyeball to eyeball, John did. John did, and he said, I saw him with my own two eyes. In fact, I spent three years walking around the countryside, camping with Jesus. I observed the things that he did. I shared meals with him, and we talked late into the evening, and we swapped stories, and then I watched Jesus go to the cross. And I watched this man die. But three days later, I watched him rise again. And John saw this. He didn't just read about it. He was there. He had a front row seat. And I don't exactly know how it happened, but several years later, I would imagine some leaders in the church came to John, the Apostle John, and said, John, you're the last guy standing all the other disciples, all the other apostles, they have died. Peter is gone. The apostle Paul is gone. All the disciples are gone. You're the last eyewitness to Jesus Christ in those three years that you spent with him. And as well, you saw him die on a cross and you saw him and you eyewitness saw him rise from the grave and you shared a meal with him afterwards. John, you got to write it down. Because you're the last eyewitness. You've got to tell this story in written form about what you actually saw, what you actually witnessed, so that future generations can know. And so that's what the Apostle John did. He sat down and with, with pen and paper, he wrote this story and he said, these are the things that I saw. And John writes these seven different miracles, these seven different signs that point to Jesus and John says, you know, I just not only saw these things, and he wasn't just a, a guy who did these kind of bag of tricks, but he did them for a reason. He did them for a purpose. And John tells us in John 20, and you don't need to go there, but I'm going to ask Brady to go ahead and put it up there, and we're just going to read it together. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. And then John gives us his purpose statement about why he wrote this gospel. John says this, But these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. John says, I saw him and I believe that Jesus is indeed who he said he was, that he is the Son of God. And he doesn't just leave it there. And he says that, that by believing, you may have life in his name. John says, these are the things I saw, the things I witnessed. Let me tell you about Jesus. John says, I am convinced that he was the son of God. And I'm sharing this all with you because I want you to believe. And we ought to go back to there for just a second, Brady. We ought to hear that and see that and read that and understand deep in our hearts that John isn't just giving us information. He's inviting us to respond because that's what he says here. By believing you might have life in his name. And so John wrote this wonderful gospel that we call the Gospel of John. And he invites us through these seven miracles to get a front row seat to see a little bit what he saw. So let's look at John, uh, John 6, uh, beginning with verse 16. When evening came, 
His disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus has not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. Now let me just kind of paint a picture here for you in terms of what's going on because this is a pretty unusual uh, uh, geographic um, uh, uh, setting that's going on with Jesus. So you need to know the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. Sea level is what we know, right, like the, the Mediterranean Sea uh, on, on the coast there. But, but the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet uh, below sea level. So the Jordan River flows in to the Sea of Galilee, also below sea level. Uh, the Sea of Galilee flows, uh, the, the Jordan River flows out of the Sea of Galilee, also below sea, the, uh, sea level. And it goes down to the Dead Sea, which is about 1,200 feet uh, below sea level. And so it's this, this big chasm, this big canyon uh, that where all this is taking place. And the Sea of Galilee, uh, it's a good-sized sea. It's a big lake. It's uh, about seven miles uh, east to west and about 12 miles north to south. So this is a good-sized lake, right? And so this is kind of the context of, of what's going on. And so you've got the Sea of Galilee in this great rift. It's, it's called the Jordan Rift. And it goes all the way through the Arabian Peninsula into Africa. It's called the Syrio-African Rift. And it's just this big chasm that goes deep all the way down. And at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee is warm air, right? Because uh, we know that uh, the, the warm air uh, settles, tends uh, to settle down by uh, when, when below sea level. That's what I'm trying to say. And at the Mediterranean Sea, it's cold. There's cold air coming off the Mediterranean Sea, and the winds blow uh, just like they do here from west to east. And so the, the cold air goes shooting down into this canyon where the water is. And meteorologists will tell you that it's an absolute recipe for a huge storm. And so this is what happens very regularly at the Sea of Galilee. One day, on just any particular day, the water can be glassy, it can be calm, but on that same day in just a few hours as that cold air rushes down, it turns up the water and you see white caps and, and things are just getting really, really rocky. And fishing boats, Fishing boats will just sink instantly because the waters are so rough. I, I was on the Sea of Galilee also a couple years ago with a group. And the day we were out, it was calm, it was glassy, and uh, it was just, it was absolutely remarkable. But I'll, I'll tell you, uh, we were never that far from the shoreline. We were just a couple hundred yards from the shoreline, kind of scooting across the Sea of Galilee. And I wasn't really concerned uh, because we were so close to the shore. But we also had a motor, which was pretty nice too. And uh, I knew that the, uh, the pilots, uh, the skippers of the boat, they were watching the weather as well. And I can't imagine being out on the open waters where you can't see the shoreline uh, and not being able to get quickly into shore. But that's just how they live their lives. And so this is what's going on in the story. A strong wind came out of nowhere uh, and it starts to blow and uh, the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water, and they were frightened. 
Now let me give you some timeline for uh, what's going on here. Last Sunday, Tom preached on the feeding of the 5,000. That happened literally hours before, just hours before Jesus had performed this miracle where he fed 5,000 plus women and children, thousands and thousands of people, right, Tom? And so these, the disciples are coming off this miracle and they're thinking to themselves, how did that happen? What just happened? What does all this mean, right? So they're, they're coming off of this spiritual high of experiencing one of the great signs of what Jesus did. It's just hours later and they're still kind of in la-la land thinking to themselves, wow, how did he do that? And what does it mean for us? And there they are out on the boat. And I just want to ask you, have you ever been in that place where you've been in a, just kind of had a spiritual high? You're in a place where you're just, you just you felt really good, really close to Jesus? I don't know, maybe you were away a week at Bible camp. Maybe you went on a mission trip. Maybe you were at a retreat like Curcio or, or something like that. And it was just like this, wow. You just feel so filled, right? You feel just so, so filled up with God and you, you feel so close to God and it's just so good. Oh, that's where the disciples were. They're just like, oh, he, he just did that. He just did that. And then just moments, hours later, all of a sudden, they're in the midst of the storm. Now, why do I bring that up? Because that's usually how storms happen in our lives, don't they? Everything's going along just fine. And then out of left field, didn't see that coming, right? Man, everything was going so good. Boom. A storm hits us. And that's exactly what's going on with the disciples. Calm and then storm. You know, someone once said that God oftentimes speaks to his people through the storms of life. And some of you are probably thinking to yourself, well, I hear a lot from God then, right? Yeah. I mean, God even speaks in the midst of storms. I think one other thing I want to just lift up, it's not in this gospel. Um, so this particular miracle or sign is recorded in Matthew, uh, John, and Mark. It's not recorded in Luke. But Mark tells us a little more detail about this particular evening. He said it was the fourth watch of the night. Now, we don't really think in terms of night watches, do we? But what you need to know is the first watch goes from uh, 6 to 9, second watch goes from 9 to 12, the third watch goes from uh, 12 to 3, and the fourth watch goes from 3 to 6 in the morning. Right, so it's late in the morning. They've been paddling all night. Seven, eight hours, they are exhausted out on the waters. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up in the midst of this storm. It says they were, t uh, they were afraid. Well, yeah, of course they're afraid. They're exhausted, they're worn out, they're weary, they're punchy, right? Have you ever been just going and going and going tired in the midst of a storm? You're on edge. And of course they're, they're, they're worn out and they're afraid when Jesus shows up. Verse 20, 
But Jesus said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Now what I want to say about this is uh, oftentimes I don't like to um, bring out different Greek language syntax, but I think it's really helpful in this particular case uh, for what's going on for us to really understand what the disciples are experiencing. So Brady, you want to go ahead and put up there uh, this idea of it is I, the Greek phrase for it is I is er there we go, ego eimi, ego eimi, it is I. Jesus shows up and says, ego eimi. And you're like, okay, so what? Big deal, right? <laughs> but I want to remind you, remember that story in the Old Testament where Moses goes up uh, uh, Mount Sinai and gets the Ten Commandments from God? And God gives him the Ten Commandments and Moses is like, wow, these Ten Commandments are awesome. Remember this story? And then Moses looks up at the sky and says, who am I supposed to tell the Israelites, your people, who gave me these? And God said, Yahweh, right? Junior high students, in confirmation, what's the Old Testament name for God? Come on. I am. I am. I am. Yahweh means I am. I am in Hebrew is Yahweh. I am in English, of course, is I am. And I am in Greek is ego eimi. Go ahead and put those up there. There we go. So when Jesus shows up in the midst of the storm, it's translated, and I looked at a bunch of translations, and I don't know why the translators all do this, but they say, it is I, right? <laughs> a very kind of British, you know, almost stilted, uh, Jesus shows up on the scene and says, it is I. But that's not a, at all what, what, what's going on here. When Jesus shows up, he says, ego me, I am. The great I am has just showed up. See, it's not this all kind of, you know, buttoned up uh, appearance. It's this, guys, it's not just Jesus. It's God who has shown up. The great I am is here. And the disciples are like, oh, my goodness. Who is this guy? He continues to reference himself to being the great I am, the God of the Old Testament. And now he shows up and says, the great I am is here. And it absolutely blows their mind. And I, I, I just felt like I needed to just get into a little bit of uh, Greek geeky uh, language this morning for you to really understand what a dramatic moment this is. Verse 21. Then they were willing to take him in the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Now, I just want to close with a couple thoughts uh, about this uh, particular story. The first thing is really obvious. The storm ends. <coughs> storm ends. Oftentimes when you're in the midst of a storm, you think it's going to be a perpetual storm. That the storm is just never going to end, right? When is the storm ever going to end? But storms are seasonal. Storms are not perpetual. 
Whatever storm you might be going through now, it will end. Now, we don't exactly know when, right? You might be thinking, hey, wait a second, I've been praying, I've been waiting. You know what, back to the whole idea of the, the, the four different watches, you may only be in the second watch of the night. You maybe need to get through the third watch and the fourth watch. I don't know. Jesus promises us that the storm will end. He just doesn't tell us when it will end. But the second thing I want to close with this morning as we think about uh, this idea. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. When Jesus shows up in your life, you need to choose what you're going to do with him. See, Jesus, there they are in the storm in the boat. There's Jesus walking on the water. They could have chosen, uh, they could have decided, hey, Jesus, you just stay there outside of the boat. We're going to keep paddling. We know where we're going, right? Or they could choose what they chose to do and said, Jesus, we invite you. Come on into the boat. And so I want to ask you, when you go through a storm, maybe even this morning, when Jesus shows up, what are you going to do with him? Are you going to just keep paddling, keep doing life on your own? Or are you going to invite him into the boat? And so often we think to ourselves, I don't want to choose. But I want to remind you, not choosing is making a choice. Jesus stands there right, right outside the boat in, in the storms of life, and we have a choice. Are we going to invite him in to calm the waters? We can just keep doing life on our own. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, always demands a response. Oftentimes we think it's about just reading uh, scripture or learning more or knowing more or growing more in our relationship with God. And that is certainly part of it. But that's not the end of it because the end of it is John said, I have written these things so that you may believe. John demands a response. Jesus demands a response over and over and over. The gospel writers tell us, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus did. Now, how are you going to respond? Are you going to just keep paddling through life or are you going to invite Jesus into the boat into your life to calm the seas to walk alongside and navigate you and oh by the way are you going to put the paddle down and stop being the, the, the head of your boat and just be a crew person and so every week when we gather we're invited to respond to the gospel you didn't just come here this morning to listen to stuff right you got to know that you came this morning to hear some stuff and then to respond to the gospel. And oftentimes how we respond to the gospel uh, is through an altar call, right? Ever been to a Billy Graham crusade or a church service where there's an altar call? Everybody close your eyes, you know, bow your heads, fold your hands. We're going to pray now, right? Oftentimes we do an altar call here at Faith Lutheran Church as well. We just, one, we don't call it an altar call. 
And two, we don't kind of go through that formality. But every time we proclaim the Apostles' Creed in our worship service, it's an invitation to respond to the gospel. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And so during this time where you guys are out here doing this and, and I'm up here doing this, you're kind of listening, taking it in. And then after the sermon, uh, I invite you to stand and to respond to the gospel. That that's an altar call. And that's why we do it so regularly so that you can actually respond to what's going on, to, to God's word that has been proclaimed. And so I thought this morning we could uh, close out the sermon this morning by responding. Uh, and you can go home and tell all your family and friends that you uh, responded to the altar call at Faith Lutheran Church this morning, all right? So as you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand and respond uh, to the good news of Jesus Christ. And as you're thinking about the storms in your life, Jesus showing up in your life, he's outside the boat. Are you going to invite him in or are you going to just stand there uh, and, and uh, allow him uh, to uh, uh, keep, keep doing what he does and you keep paddling? Let us proclaim our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for those seven signs, those seven miracles. And most certainly, God, we thank you for the miracle of you walking on water, not for just some kind of parlor trick to, to wow your people. But because, God, you were trying to show us time and time again that, that Jesus was who he said he was, your very son. And, God, we also know that it's not just about uh, knowing these things and understanding these things, but that, God, you have called us to respond to your gospel, to your good news. That when we step out, when we invite you into our boat, that we can experience life, abundant life. That we can experience healing, that we can experience restoration, that we can experience life, that we can experience joy, that we can experience peace. God, that we can experience all that you would want us to have. And so, God, we respond. We respond to you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.